0: Welcome to NFT Telling Talk, where we explore the people of Web3 and their impact on the future of technology. Today, we're thrilled to have Robin Schmidt, a multi-award winning film director and creative, and the CEO of Based AF, a production company creating content about, around and within the open metaverse. Robin has an extensive background in film and television, having worked with some of the biggest names in the industry. He's also an advocate for decentralization and the possibilities of the open metaverse. Time to pick his brain. So grab a banana, sit back, and let's get started with Robin Schmidt. It seems uh, supermassive, AKA Robin, is with us here as well. Yes, I
1: am. Hello. How is everybody? Good, good. Good, good. Feeling, feeling the burn of being an NFT project founder. It's, uh, it's a real thing, man, for sure.
0: Well, uh, trust me, it's only going to go uh, uphill from here.
1: That's <laughs> so I've been told. So I've been told, but I, I like going uphill. I like doing street requirements to physically tax myself. So, it sounds, sounds like it's uh, right up my street.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, having been in the startups for almost ten years, and now. Web3, then. Web3 is for sure more fun. It's it's definitely a thing, right? It's,
1: <laughs> it, everything moves so
0: ridiculously
1: fast and the expectations are so high and you're kind of up against teams where you, you have no idea kind of how they managed to get where they got to and things kind of come out of nowhere and you're like, oh, well, how did that happen? Um, so you're always trying to stay on your toes and try and stay ahead and stay relevant. And, and then there's just a whole world that isn't Web3, it's also doing its own thing. And that's something you have to pay attention to and respect. And it's sort of this weird thing where we have this, this strange island of things that happen, which is disconnected from the rest of the world. And yet we all kind of want the rest of the world to come and play there, except we don't. So it's just a weird space all around. But I, I like you, I I love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else, but I also hate it at the same time. <laughs> it's it's crazy.
0: Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's It's something, and uh, I I think uh, the best thing I've I've learned over the last uh, couple of years is that uh, people think that there are different projects that come and uh, achieve overnight success, but in most cases, they had uh, many of their stars aligned uh, way before they started. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, And also, you feel like
1: you only notice them when they suddenly get big, but that was just you and your perception and they've they, they been people who knew about these things beforehand. Um, and I think everything is, everything is a scaling problem in crypto. Everything is about the zero to one phase in startups is, is the really the, the exciting fun bit where you figure stuff out. But in crypto and in Web3 and NFTs, the one to two phase is the thing that no one really has figured out yet. There's a lot of history now in the in the zero to one phase of getting things bootstrapped getting them off the ground how to figure it out how to how to do it but you know achieving product market fit and figuring out how this stuff fits into culture and what the best way to do is we we kind of have to go beyond let's just copy yuga (laughs) because that kind of ends up being what it is at the moment and that's i mean look they're doing an incredible job don't get me wrong and it's somewhat incredible to see how they've managed to achieve that and now they're, they're well capitalized and they have great support and great people and they're executing but you know you're an ape you're sand of the ape and it's tough to reconcile that kind of sense of culture with an asset that is just so unbelievably expensive for anyone to, to kind of be part of do
0: you know what i mean yeah uh, very much so uh and uh, <laughs> so i understand i wasn't dissing i wasn't dissing your, ape, dissing
1: your ape i wasn't dissing your ape at all <laughs> um it's funny like we we bumped into each other at Ape fest
0: as well <laughs> last year no no i uh, i'm a accidental ape so uh I just accidentally got it uh stuck with it and uh now uh embracing it but uh uh, fully uh, fully aware that uh, most of us will not be yuga and most of us uh, even uh, shouldn't so i i guess uh, no uh, no trash pass and uh, a game where you would have to be going uh, inside uh trash lands or or will there be well maybe we'll, well, that's a, that's we'll know something a, listen, later
1: listen we 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 are in the business of attention, right? We, we explore the way we get attention in lots of different ways. And one of the ways, if you're a writer rips, for instance, is to just poke the beast and just go after it. And that is, that's kind of, it's been interesting what happened with all of that, because I think there's a lot of, I don't know what, what the best way to place it is, but like missing, misinformed or bad intentioned kind of trolling put towards you. Go. And I guess it probably comes from envy. More than anything else, but there's also this sense that they've kind of gone a route that maybe isn't the way other people would go. But they also suck all the oxygen out of the room for other projects that are trying to do things. Yeah, and true. That true. can be hard to fight against.
0: But this is um, not the space about yoga. And uh, so, before we uh, go no, any deeper, no, i want to give a I want to give a proper introduction and uh, uh, make sure people know why we're here. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Sandra Deep uh, I come from Estonia, and uh, we are hosting some NFT Tallinn for the second uh, time uh, this year. And uh, among many of our great speakers, uh, we will be also uh, featuring uh, uh, Robin, a.k.a. Supermassive, there. And these uh, NFT talent talks here are our chance to go a little bit deeper into who the speakers are and uh, who are those people behind those projects. So uh, for the next... Uh, 30, 40 minutes. Uh, I'd be delving a little bit deeper into who is Robin and uh, all uh, the projects around him. And then uh, afterwards, we would also be opening uh, the line for some questions until uh, Supermassive says to us that uh, we need to all go uh, to sleep. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: wouldn't that be nice to go to sleep? Thank you, Sander. Thank you, Sander. Well, it's definitely it's worth kind of pointing out, that like, I think you probably came across me when I was working at the Defiant and making those crazy videos for the Defiant um, with the kind of fraction of the budget that I'm working with now. But then you and I bumped into each other in ApeFest and you said, hey, I was like, who's this guy? And he went, I'm Sander. Like, oh, right, you're Sander the Ape. Because <laughs> your identity is so now commingled with your your Ape. Um, but it's funny, now we're, we're talking about um, NFT Tallinn and how excited well, my team is to go to Estonia. And I think it's funny that people underestimate how well Estonia has become like a digital economy and how progressive that country is as well um, in terms of, you know, e-citizenships and these kinds of things. It's pretty amazing what's going on over there. Um, so I, I guess a question for you is like, what, what are you aiming to to achieve with NFC Tallinn and, and how can we kind of shine more of a light on what's going on over there?
0: Uh, So when it comes to Estonia, then maybe some people know, maybe uh, others don't, but uh, Estonia was embracing uh, blockchain all the way uh, around like 2007, 2008, when we put all of our healthcare system onto it. Uh, Of course, it's a private blockchain uh, still, uh, but uh, but still. And uh, ever since then, uh, we have been doing uh, various good steps as a country on uh, uh, blockchain regulation all the way until like... 2019-2020 2019-2020 when uh, we uh, may have realized that we let too many companies in and then they started uh, fixing some things. Uh, all the way, I guess not enough people know what's happening. And that's why we uh, decided to set up NFT Italian initially, is to bring light to what is Estonia and uh, what types of opportunities are there. Uh, just to name a few, uh, anyone is able to become an e-resident Which means that you can uh, open a company in Estonia, uh, which takes you maybe around uh, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, uh, all the way, including with bank accounts. After that, you can uh, start running the company from Estonia without ever physically having to be there. Uh, uh, Some good perks about Estonia is that we don't tax uh, revenue. Uh, We only tax when you take it uh, fully out. But as long as you reinvest, including your crypto profits as a company, then there's no tax. And then there's uh, there is other things where the government is very forthcoming. And uh, basically, one one of the things with NFT Italian is that we want to make sure people know more of these things, and also uh, maybe realize that some of the companies that they are using uh, on a daily basis are from Estonia. Like the first ones being uh, from Web2, Skype and Wise. But these days, from Web3, there there's uh, uh, Ready Player Me, which is one of the biggest avatar companies, as well as... Uh, Uh, Three commas, uh, which is doing some uh, interesting things as well. Uh, So there's a lot of things happening from Estonia, and that's what we're uh, bringing the eyes uh, on with the event. But other than that, we're just uh, trying to bring people together because for some weird reason, uh, when it comes to Northern Europe and Eastern Europe, there haven't been too many uh, events around. So uh, we're looking to change this, and uh, thus this year bringing together around 2,000 people and hopefully around 4,000 to 5,000 next year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing because there's this U.S.-centric view of the world where it's just the U.S. And, you know, I, I live in the Netherlands, tiny country, but a massive crypto presence here. It's kind of funny, like an outsized crypto presence. And we do need to kind of create these different cultural pockets of interest around the space because it's global it it belongs everywhere but i mean there's no doubt that when we think about this this space we tend to kind of veer towards the u.s projects or the or the asian projects and there isn't so much in in europe particularly but i think that's changing i think that's definitely changing and I'm, i'm hoping that we can can fly the flag for that a little bit because there's lots of cool stuff
0: being made here. It's just um, it's harder for it to get seen and heard. Yeah, and on that note, it's a good segue going into uh, you and uh, kind of figuring out. Uh, uh, I understand that you are uh, these days based in the Netherlands, and uh, if I understand correct, then you have been uh, living in Europe for most of your life. But uh, you have been working with uh, some international brands before doing BaseF, including uh, Harmony, uh, The Defiant. So uh, how did you get to VEF3 and who is Robin? Well,
1: I am first and foremost a creative human. I actually started out properly when I was seven years old. I became a chorister at Westminster Cathedral in London, it's like one of the foremost boys choirs in the world, at least it was back then, and was exposed to so much, like high-level music, recording, performing concerts and stuff. And I just got a bug for performing, like really a bug. And I was that irritating little crap head who was always doing the solos and was like leading orchestras and stuff. I was just good at music, but classical music. So I had a terrible haircut with the voice of an angel. And that kind of where all this started from. And then I kind of kicked on after I left that school and kept performing. And then around the age of 17, I just had enough. I was like, I need to do something different. And ended up doing loads of sports and chasing girls and, and then came out of university going, now what? And film, never really filmed, felt like it was an industry that I could work in. It was a lot harder to think about it because there were no mobile phones. There were, it was very difficult to edit. You had to have a special computer for all of that. And then like the first IMAX came out where you could actually edit handycam footage on it, uh, on Mac OS 9 Pro 1. And that just changed everything for me. And we weren't really considered content creators back then, but I guess that's where all this came from. The sense of kind of scrapping away, doing the best with what you could with very little resources, trying to compete with the guys that had much more money than you. And again, no YouTube back then. And so I've always been thinking that way the, you know uh, punching above my weight with the equipment and resources that I had in that very indie spirit but then kind of over time you you start to rise on bigger brands and bigger projects and bigger commissions and you know I ended up going through the usual route of music videos commercials that went into tv and ended up directing a feature film in 2012 and then after that like after this monumental journey to get to the the promised land, which is directing a feature film, just like, well, now what? I really kind of just went through a bunch of different and unusual transformations, trying to figure out what the what next was. And we actually did YouTube back in 2012, myself and Simon one, who is one half of Supermassive with me. And we did really well. We blew up like instantly. And we we just landed on a thing that really worked. And then we're like, okay, this is it. We've done it. Uh, But at that point, I just started a family. And it was just like, no, need to be sensible. And it took me five or six years to figure out what sensible looked like. And that meant moving to Holland, getting a sensible job, working in like kind of very standard commercials for a Dutch brand called Philips, making vacuum cleaner and coffee machine commercials and making really nice work, but just hating it, hating it so much. And it was just a kind of random conversation with my boss where he talked about this cryptocurrency that he bought and how he was about to pay off his mortgage because he'd made so much money off it. I was like,
2: I feel
1: like that's what I need or what I want because I was hating the work that I was making so much. I felt like the only way to get past that and to, to change that was to pay for a completely new set of work. And I knew that would be expensive and I knew I'd have to work really hard to get there and it just felt impossible. So then I just kind of found my way into Web3 because it felt like that was a possible answer and landed on this crazy creative space where there were no rules and anything was possible and and nothing I kind of thought was the way it was supposed to be was considered the way it was supposed to be. It was just a complete shock. And I just really enjoyed it. And then kind of randomly found myself in a position to have a conversation with the guys at Harmony. And I just pitched them myself as a storyteller, as someone that could take her up to and turn it into narrative and help tell that story for them. And then they offered me a job. So I've took this massive risk, right turn, gamble, whatever it was to go and work for a Silicon Valley startup and learn a huge amount in the process. And then that working at the Defiant, uh, where I worked for two years. And then that led to me going to VCs and saying, I'd like to do my own thing, uh, which would be metaverse focused, but again creating content and creating really original content that feels like it belongs in the metaverse and around the metaverse. And fortunately they said, yeah, okay, we believe in that. Let's, let's go do it. So that's kind of how I ended up here.
0: Well, that's interesting. So uh, basically you went to the investors even before you had uh, launched BaseF, right?
1: Yeah, I did. Well, they they kind of already knew me because they'd seen the work I've been doing and seen how I told stories. And I think it was, probably because there wasn't anybody really doing that the way I did it. So with the Defiant, we we set off trying to tell the story of DeFi in the most kind of correct way possible. And that didn't mean telling it like Bloomberg would tell it, like very hands-off and dry and factual, but more like it felt to be an, a DeFi degenerate at the time. Because it was wild when DeFi summer blew up and there were all these food farms and everything else. we just, It was so bizarre, the whole thing, that like trying to tell those stories in a normal newsy way just didn't make any sense. So I just kind of lent on the stuff that I used to do and the storytelling that I used to do to find the craziest ways I could tell a story and just kept on doing that. And it became harder and harder to really do that throughout a whole 10-minute video. But we'd always put like a minute in at the beginning of the video and try and flex some creative muscles just because... I think for me personally, it would have made it really hard if I hadn't done that. It would have made it really kind of dry and difficult to get up and tell basically what was the same story week in, week out. So to add some creativity in there um, for content that probably didn't deserve it or need it, felt like I was setting, you know, I was putting my own stamp on something. And what I truly believed was that if I put that work out into the universe, something good would come back from it. And a bunch of good things did come back from it, but most of it was just conversations that were just introductory, didn't necessarily need to go anywhere or, or become something. But one of them was with Derek Schloss from Collab Currency. And he and I just had a fun conversation we kind of kept up uh, contact with each other. And then when it came to, to base, I called him up and said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of putting this thing together. Would love to get your advice on it. And I pitched him what I was doing. And he said, you know what? I think we want to invest in you. So I was like, wow. Um, but that, that was like after two years of making content and trying to make content that was different in Web3 and wasn't just the kind of usual kind of low-rank garbage that so much of what gets made on YouTube around crypto tends to be.
0: Yeah, so it's an overnight success, uh, 10 years in making, right? 20 years in the making. I think I was always
1: <laughs> destined to do this. It's just I never realized that that was what was supposed to happen. And the, the weird thing is, like, I never thought I'd be in front of the camera. Like, after being a choir boy and loving being on stage and playing music, I honestly thought that those days were behind me. That I... For, i tell you what it was, and this is me being straight up honest. Like, when I was 13, musically, I was, like, at the height of my powers. I, I, I remember it very clearly, just being so in control of what I was doing even at that young age, that you felt invincible. And then I kind of slowly lost that, and I I became less interested in doing all the practicing and everything else, but I remember it very clearly, just knowing that I could step on stage and totally own it, just own the audience. It's the weirdest thing. And so stepping into film, where I hadn't spent all that time in that discipline, and I hadn't grown up with it, and I hadn't you know, now filming things from the moment I can hold a phone, but you know, film is a pretty tough discipline to acquire, um, offensive. So there was always this kind of imposter syndrome and a feeling I wasn't as good as I would have been had I stayed a musician. And so I guess I protected myself from that by staying behind the camera and being a director rather than stepping in front and becoming something different. Um, and it's only kind of when I was forced to during the pandemic, I just had to be in front of the camera that I learned to embrace that and then learn to embrace the performing aspect of being a YouTuber and doing things honestly, the way I wanted to do them and telling stories the way I wanted to tell them no matter what. So, and, and also, I guess the thing is like, having spent 10 50s learning all sorts of different ways of telling a story through film. And there are so many, it's crazy. It's crazy. And once you have all those skills in your, in your back locker, you know, you can do, you know, a nice kind of handheld intimate piece using long lenses, or you can do a comedic piece which is completely kind of controlled and on 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 a tripod, and every camera move is really controlled. But you're using wider lenses, so it's funnier, like kind of more than like... all of these things. These things that you've learned how to do, and suddenly when you bring them into Web three, they stand out like massively. And the question is, does anyone care? Does anyone really need that? And the answer is. Not necessarily, unless you give them a really compelling reason to want them and to feel that like there is some craft here and some quality. I've got to hope that the audience will find that and come back to it. So this idea of just being entertaining, but also sticking to your guns and not letting the algorithm determine how you make stuff, I really believe in that because ultimately for me to carry on making things week in, week out, i got to feel like I'm making something worthwhile. Otherwise, I just hate it. I can't do it.
0: Yeah, it totally makes sense. And uh, I guess uh, no one would really want to uh, do anything uh, which uh, would be same day out. Uh, That's kind of the, the, from the content side, I think this uh, really made me uh, start following what you are doing uh, while you were at uh, The Defiant, as uh, this content was different. It was uh, something that had sexual emotion in it, uh, and not just from like... uh, emotional roller coaster of crypto trying to follow the lines and uh, prices and new products and everything else but kind of uh, with a twist around all of this. Uh, So yeah uh, I I can only imagine uh, what we can be expecting uh, now in the coming years uh, as you have kind of uh, broken free uh, and are able to do everything by your own books.
1: Yeah it's interesting because we we had all these things that we wanted to do and now we're putting them together. They're they're, they're pretty tough. Like I, I kind of, I remember when it was just myself and Alp at the Defiant and we were just kind of coming up with ideas and silly things that we could do with limited resources. And that was really freeing and really fun. Now we're carrying around all of these um, different departments, building things in Unreal Engine, building things in Unity and putting a whole team together that needs to get up to speed with what we're doing and how we do it and how to get inside my head and see what it, it is that I want to do. And that's a slow process inevitably because what you're trying to do is scale yourself, um, which, is in, which is exactly what you have to do. Like it's the first thing an investor will say to you is uh, the key man risk on this is through the roof, it's off the charts. And so I analyze myself and train others to do what I do And be able to be in a more executive position, which is more of a managerial thing, and that's less fun. And so the the problem I have to solve right now is to scale that kind of creativity and fun that was in those defined videos, and put the processes in place for us to be able to do that in the way that I want to do it now. Because I come up with ideas left, right, and center, and I put them to my team, and they say yes. And sometimes I wish they would say no, because you know when we come up with them, it's like now we have to make the video, but we also have to build a world and we have to create the token mechanics that allow us to get into that world. And then we have to seed that idea into the community and then we have to give out the teasers and then we have to do all the promotional and the social content that goes around it so that all this lines up. And then we're like, well, we have to do that in three days. It's like, oh, that's fun. Uh, So there's, there's a lot of figuring out to do. And then like having just the simple mechanics of having four editors working off the same network drive drive goes bad, which it has at the moment then you're in real trouble. So it's like, yeah, it's uh, first world problems for sure. But um, for me, that's, that's the challenge is to you know, keep that sense of a really agile, fast moving, independent content creation studio, but also deliver the spectacle on the scale that I promised it to people. And um, I, you know, we, we've done quite a lot in the first six weeks. Uh, but we had a lot of time to plan for those first six weeks. And now we're deep into production with, you know, we're on this crazy train and it's rolling really fast.
0: That's it's fun. Yeah. <clears throat> and so on that note, uh, I would love you to uh, go a little bit deeper into what is uh, and uh, what do you actually uh, envision to accomplish uh, with all of this?
1: So, BaseDev is a, it's a Web3 content creation studio with its eyes fixed firmly on the metaverse. And our thesis is that the metaverse will be the number one technology story over the next 10 years. And the reason we've settled there rather than in DeFi or crypto specifically is because my observation over the last five years is that it's a really bad idea to build a business that is so tightly coupled to the fortunes of Bitcoin if you can avoid it. So for me, building a business that had its sights set on a broader idea, vision, story, made more sense. And it's it's a tricky one because you're talking about Web 3 versus Web 2 here, but you know the metaverse doesn't have to be crypto and it doesn't have to be Web 3, although the way we, we want to build into what we're doing is very, very important. So our focus to begin with is YouTube, and YouTube offers us YouTube shorts, live streaming, and, of course, the long-form content that people know from YouTube. So we're looking to hit those three areas fairly heavily and the stories we're going to be telling will be metaverse focused stories um, but not necessarily just like all in a virtual world and with the short form content we'll be doing kind of daily news stories and we'll be doing sidebars that peel off the longer form films that we do with the longer form stuff we'll be doing things like a big challenge so for instance just recently we did uh, i ran a metaverse marathon so but i actually ran an ultra marathon So I ran for nine hours and ran about 65, 64, 65 kilometers in the metaverse in VR chat. And we raised $100,000 for charity. That was a big deal. And that went really well. And it was a huge kind of achievement for us. And now we're just finalizing the edit on the film that tells the story of how we, we ended up getting there. But that film takes us to London, to Kenya, to Mexico on at this quest to find the perfect recipe for running this crazy thing. Um, so that was kind of pretty fun, but we will be doing films of that scale, but we'll also be doing smaller things where um, we're trying to build the most annoying game in the metaverse. So we've all been inspired by Dookie Dash and all these kind of things. We're just like, yeah, but that's, that's not as annoying as it can be. Let's try and build something that's even more annoying, but build it in you know, a platform like Monaverse, for instance. Um, So Monaverse is about to launch a whole bunch of new scripts within its space. It's free to build on Monaverse, which we love. uh, And we also have kind of a good relationship with them. So we want to try and build little things that kind of be a fun thing for our community to do. And our community is called the Baseheads. They are represented by these crazy PFP-like characters. uh, And we'll be building VRM models for these. We'll be building um, VX models, I think, for them as well. Um, They are full-height assets at the moment, but they will have a PFP as well so people can represent them properly. But what we really wanted to do was build the content studio and the NFT property at the same time so that they were completely linked together um, because that Baseheads community represents our audience. They're our core fans, our super fans. And one of the things we've become obsessed with is this idea of making it possible for a fan of what you do to be a full-time fan for that to be their job, because so much of the success of big content creators is thanks to their fans. It's thanks to the people that watch the videos or watch the content. And so if we're going to be a truly web three proposition, even if we have an eye on things outside of web three, then we needed to do it at the same. And that's been tough because obviously when you're just starting out, your numbers are small, your subscriber count is small, and what you need to do in trust is signal success in some way, shape or form. And so we're just trusting and believing that our super fans who are with us and believe in what we're doing will really go on that journey with us and reap the rewards when we kind of scale up to where we need to get to. So it's a really kind of crazy, broad journey that we're on. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we have one job to do, which is to make sense that captures attention and then figure out interesting ways to use that attention. And that doesn't necessarily just mean monetize. Um, For instance, like, you know, with the marathon, we raised a hundred grand for charity. If you look at all the money that got pissed away by Web3 last year, like doing things like that, it helps you kind of center your philosophy about what you're doing in a place that those who hate crypto and hate Web3 can't attack. And if we're to be genuinely successful here and reach a mass audience, we have to start from that place because whatever else we do, we need to be palatable for that audience. Otherwise, we won't get there and we won't be able to kind of bring out some of the ideas that are more versatile and interesting from crypto than simply racing a pilot down
0: a monkey's intestine. Yeah, lots packed in here. Maybe as a starting point, I, when it comes to the idea of full-time fans, then uh, have a already full-fledged plan uh, on how to make it uh, all happen? Uh, or is this something that uh, the fans will be kind of uh, working with you uh, along the way?
1: Yeah, I think the fans have to be working with us along the way. And there are some really good people in our community. I want to shout out Michelle, Hold Strong, Mark La, Crypto Nix, I see you in here. You guys are amazing and always conversing with us. And Mr. Phil, I see you and Kevin. They're always conversing with us and helping us understand what it is that we could be usefully doing. Like we, we don't necessarily have the answers here because nobody does. There are a few projects which have been taking, for instance, kind of the air miles model and bringing it into three. And that's a little old-fashioned. There is another route which revolves around something to do with SBTs. Um, There's a route around the kind of fundamental metadata that's in the space that is interesting. Um, And basically what you want to do is you want to create an environment in which people can earn points for performing tasks and they can be rewarded for those points. What you can't do and this is what I won't do is like, I won't introduce a social token because I think that's the fastest way to kill your project. Uh, so it then comes down to well, what is a way in which we can generate a an income stream for people who do work for us. And the answer is actually quite simple. It's, it's embedded in the promise of YouTube, which is AdSense revenue. And there's other ways in which we can do it as well. And like one of the ideas that we, First explored was could we take the AdSense revenue we would make from videos. Obviously, this only makes sense if you're properly scaled up and the videos are doing big numbers. But theoretically, could we take that, convert it to USDC, dump it in a community wallet over which we had no control, and legally then give that back to the community? And the answer is, you could, but it would be running the risk of getting into trouble further down the line, and that's not something we wanted to do. So we're still looking into ways of putting this together. The thing is, it doesn't exist yet. There are things like crew three that we're using that will allow you to put points together, but most of it's sort of done either Twitter or web three protocols. And none of it really works on a web two level. And that's kind of what we need at the moment because we have to go where the audience is and the audience is on TikTok and the audience is on YouTube. So we need to figure out ways of kind of piping those two things in together. But there's been a lot of interesting noises coming out of YouTube about NFTs. And so we shall have to see whether they implement them in some way, shape, or that we can do. Things like in-stream NFT minting, things like that. Um, There's a platform called the 402, which is a Web3 native one that allows you to do that. Some interesting things. But what I'm less keen on doing is just pumping more energy out into the world. I'd much rather have more targeted and specific things that we want to do um around that but i think what kind of one of the main things for the, for the base heads is we want to bring them in and make them part of the show so that you know if there's a game show that we're putting on or a dating show that the base heads are the ones that get to participate and if it's a game show and you can win a prize the base heads should be the ones that can win the prize that just makes sense so you know when you watch mr beast handing out 100 grand in cash in a suitcase then where did those people come from well we know those will be our base heads. And if you stick around and you're you're part of that, then that's something that you could win.
0: Yeah. uh, And I think uh, when it comes to, uh, in general, uh, rewarding the community, then uh, the money, of course, has to come from uh, somewhere else. And uh, ad revenue, which is uh, effectively what uh, YouTube and TikTok and uh, potentially soon Twitter and uh, other platforms are sharing, is more or less uh, this uh, however, uh, there have been uh, previously other uh, projects built by other famous uh, YouTubers as well, which perhaps haven't really succeeded yet. Uh, so uh, is there something that you plan to do completely different? Uh, and not uh, not mentioning all, uh, the brands that uh, you're also uh, looking to build, which I would uh, be asking about uh, next.
1: Yeah, well, I... There are, there are YouTubers who have built things off the back of their own YouTube success, whereas I'm building based AF and the NFT project at the same time, specifically so that it isn't like I could just ditch one and that would be fine um, because that's not the way we're going to work it. There's The things that we have to do differently is we have to be really in dialogue with our community and really kind of like in doing this kind of in partnership with them. And there's some great things that come out of our community. Um, but also we we have to make sure that whatever we do, that the, the base heads part of it is thought about and structured in, which isn't always the easiest thing to do. But otherwise, there has to be a reason for them to, to participate and to help us get where we need to get. I mean, people talk about bootstrapping a community. We're basically bootstrapping an audience here. We, we didn't have to do an NFT community. We didn't have to do that. But what we wanted to do was force ourselves, to like three and NFT primitives into what we were doing from the get-go. Plus, the thing about NFTs is they give your visual identity and they open up the opportunity for them to have their own storylines and for them to build their own storylines in the universe that you're creating. So that's kind of one of the next phases for us. People talk about law, And we do have some sketch law outlined there but it's quite lightweight and that's very deliberate so that there's room for people to to build their own thing in and the other part is that we're we're building the legends of what we're doing that we're building the law right now in real time like running a marathon an ultra marathon in the metaverse that's part of the law now but we did that for real we didn't just write it down and that you know it's just enshrined in some text we actually did it for real there's a historical record of it on video that made this thing happen So that's one of the ways that we're doing it that's that's different. Um, And it's worth saying that that, to raise the 100 grand, we basically staged it as a race. So I had to try and finish the marathon before the base heads managed to raise the 100 grand. And it ended up not happening. So my punishment was that I had to go back to the beginning and run again. Uh, I would just continue running until we raised the 100 grand that we were trying to raise. Um, So the base heads had a hand in all of that as well, which was kind of a wild live experiment that we were doing. So that's kind of interesting. I know you were me about the brand. Do you have a specific question about the brand?
0: Well, it's it's kind of uh, just think uh, the audience here that may not know that basef uh, also comes with uh, some interesting uh, brand concepts. And uh, and that's kind of the thing that you will be also joining us at NFT Telling to uh, talk about uh, how to build brands uh, with their free and uh, some of the things that you're Playing around now with uh, base is going to be boobies, shitheads, uh, instant foods, head crank, DGAF, and uh, fresh. Uh, so that's correct. Okay. So,
1: so, the background to all of this is that I come from the world of like commercials and films and stuff. And there's a whole bunch of world building that comes into all of that. Jim, aka Curb, he comes to the world of like similar kind of thing, but like digital brands and digital campaigns digital marketing when we were coming up with the idea of Trashland, land we basically saw it as a film and he saw it as a video game but like grand theft auto so that we would have a fully fleshed out kind of commercial reality to this world and so when we launched the collection we basically shot a feature film trailer for the base heads because we wanted to kind of show people what this world could look look like if built out into a feature film in live action. So it wasn't an animation, it was live action. Like pretty much 99% more, almost every single one. I can think of one other project that's done a little bit of live action, which is Fringe Drifters. But like pretty much everyone does animation because these are JPEGs and they should be animated, right? But we didn't do that, we went live action because we wanted to be able to show to a prospective uh, investor in a feature film that we knew how to turn it into a feature film property. And the thing is that takes about two years to get off the ground, to get in, pr- produced and out there. So we knew we'd have to start pretty much the moment the min finished, we'd have to start a feature film. And so we wanted to have um, these brands built into the world because I think the thing that I, I've always struggled with with PFP is this promise that you can take it and you know turn it into your own burger or whiskey brand. And when I see it, it, it always, like if I see a, an ape or a cat as part of like a whiskey brand, there's something that always slightly jars with it. Um, and as much as you can kind of inject your own personality into it, so much of the sentiment or the enthusiasm around that brand really stems from this very entry point, which is you are another board Ape holder, kind of cool cat holder. So to break out of that uh, is quite tough. And I, I, I haven't seen that many brands where I feel like They've used the Web3 IP and, and or the NFT IP and done something really interesting with it. So as much as we like, we you know we give people the commercial license to use for their PFP or their base head, We think it's highly unlikely that most people will use them that way because it's really hard to do. So what we thought would be much more interesting is to create brands in our universe that do feel commercial and that do feel fully realized, but also have a kind of satirical component to them. So we have these brands, and there are six of them, but there are actually more like 20 of them in reality. But the six main ones um, will be turned into real products. And we started off with Frazz. So we turned term- we made Frazz Cola, which is a cola-flavored beer. And then we made Frazz Primal, which is a low-effort energy drink. And that's obviously kind of taking aim at pr- the energy drink prime, which is now like the official sponsor of the UFC or something insane like that. My God, they paid money off that thing. Um, but just kind of giving these brands a commercial reality and then shooting fake ads for them. And then actually releasing the products themselves uh, drops for base heads holders because like, it's just fun and it helps build out the world and makes it feel more real. And it also kind of gives this, this sense of history and, and like people actually actively working in this committee is really kind of fun. And also like for us, it gives us a chance to flex our creative muscles coming up with really, really strange products that can be part of this world because both Jim and myself come from like, I come from Sheena commercials. He comes from um, digital ad campaigns. Like we've had to play that game where you have to do what the client wants and you have to kind of dial back all the creative stuff and, water it down and like now we don't have to like we can be as wild and as crazy with the product as we want to be and that's really fun and then the idea with them is that we will turn them into franchises um because you know from space for the last god knows how long like every good idea gets forked and we're like if they're going to be derivatives if they're going to be forks of a project they might as well be within the project so we will hand out franchise licenses to, to these brands once we've, the first, once we've delivered the first instance of the product and then allow those franchise owners to do whatever they want with them. So that, you know, if you are like if you if you are a board APOM holder, you don't get the Yuga brand. You can't use it. But in our instance, like obviously the base AF brand, you can't use, but you can use the Fras brand. So you can go do with whatever you want with that. And we don't know how that's going to go. We don't know how that's going to play out, but that's the kind of experiment that we want to see. Um, so that's kind of uh, one of the fun things that we're doing with the brands, uh, really exploring what you can do with just idiotic, insane products and then allowing other people to do whatever they want to do with it and see what happens.
0: Yeah. And so hopefully we're, we'll be able to uh, figure out the nice deal for Fresh to be the main. Uh, color-flavored beer or energy drink for NFT Tallinn as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that. I mean, how wild is it? We just get to turn up and, like, offload a bunch of Fraz Primal
0: to the folks at NFT Talon.
1: I mean, I, this, this is like, what? But, I mean, it's, that's kind of the way this goes. I would love to see that. I think that would be hilarious. You you realize it's like a low-effort energy drink. We've put literally no effort into it whatsoever.
0: Well, uh, one of the teams that we are most actively working together at the moment, we at some point were uh, writing to Kazakhstan to one of the worst energy drink companies because uh, these guys were just producing the cheapest energy drink out there in uh, uh, the world. And they were trying the brand rights to just get uh, uh, hundreds of cases of that to the office to work on their project so i guess when it comes to tech people they're free people in general then uh, people like the weird stuff as long as it works
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thing it's, it's uh it's all about the storytelling it's all about the fun and um it can be it can be i, I guess it could be really easy to get lost in like the work and like getting stuff done and being a startup. And like, I have to take a step back sometimes because like, it, it gets pretty overwhelming with all the things that we're trying to do simultaneously. And when the community kind of gets on your back about stuff, you kind of start to take it a bit personally, but like, you have to remember like, it, it's fun. This is entertainment and like, okay, nobody died. So as long as our communities or like, understand that then, and as long as I understand that, then everything is good. Um, but that's the, you know, that's the point at the end of the day. This, this should be fun. Otherwise, why do it? Yeah,
0: uh, it's uh, whatever you do, uh, fun first, and so that's that's something uh, from one of the schools I went to in in the states, Draper University. That's where uh, Tim Draper uh, also has a saying that, uh, hey, work hard and have fun, mostly fun. Uh, I think, especially in Vet Free, uh, we need to remind it to, our, to ourselves because every now and then we might forget oh yeah totally
1: like when when the edit server is not working and like the edit grinds to halt like it has been the last couple of days you just want to smash the walls in and like i wish we had a camera that was just on us during that and you should have heard the noises coming out of the edit suite today like like one of our editors has lost three hours of work because adobe premiere just stopped auto saving it's just like it's so irritating and we're trying to kind of take this massive film and get it finished because everyone's just like where is the marathon film we want to get it out there because once we get it out there it's this proof of concept and then we can start having conversations about like what we're capable of with brand partners and all these kind of things and this is like this thing just needs to be published and yet yeah, you've got like kids to stuff on their cell phone and getting millions of views and like, why are we doing this? And it's like, just make it fun. Just remember content can just be 10 seconds of something goofy happening and like, yeah, chill out. It's going to be okay. But like, that's the balancing out. We have to to play at the moment. It's like, we want to scale up and do fun things and be ambitious, but at the end of the day, we need to also just produce fun stuff. Cause if we're having fun, having fun, then other people will have fun and then it'll be shared and all these kind of things. So, you know, it's like I said, no one died.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's kind of getting to my last question here uh, and it's uh, when can we expect that all the uh, let's say weekly uh, or daily uh, YouTube content uh, would start uh, coming out again so that's a good question
1: it's as a founder as the person that was in front of the camera as the person that was directing as the person that was editing I've had to just confront the reality that there are too many things for me to do and so we've had to be hiring people in to fill in the gaps and one of the big hires i can't announce it yet because it's not official um will be coming in to do specifically short form content and once that's in place we'll be able to start churning things out a bit more we're just like so backlogged with work and setting up kind of pipelines and processes at the moment i think pretty much when the marathon film comes out, we'll be starting to get into more kind of normal operations. Um, so kind of in the next couple of weeks, we'll be getting there. It's been harder than I thought. Um, and it's like half of it's just having more people in the office and having more technical things, specifically with um, the motion capture studio we're building here. Just a lot of things, a lot of moving parts that need to be got right. And once we have those in place, great. Uh, and I can't wait for people to see what we're capable of in the mocap studio. But it's like, yeah, I'm basically, I'm a slave to my own ambition and uh, I'm trying to drag everything with me at the same time,
0: uh, but we're getting there. Yeah. So hopefully it's going to happen uh, soon enough, but uh, I'm sure everyone is uh, happy to give you the time to work in the big things and then uh, continue with everything else uh, once the time is right and on that note i again i want to remind uh, people that uh, uh, we are going to be uh, seeing you at uh, nft Tallinn uh, this may and i'm uh, very much looking forward to that quick banana break i'd like to take a moment to tell you about an event i'm organizing nft Tallinn, the biggest free event in northern and eastern europe NFT Tallinn is your bridge to Europe, where the brightest minds in the industry come together to discuss and present the latest trends and developments in the nascent web-free world. The main event will be held from May 8th to 10th, and will feature keynote speakers, panel discussions, networking opportunities, VIP dinners, and more. In addition, the community will host hackathons, side events, and much more throughout the week starting May 5th. Tickets are available now. To learn more, and secure your ticket, visit nfttalin.com It's an event well worth your time. And now I would like to open the uh, floodgates for a couple of uh, questions from the community, if there, if there is any. Or, of course, we can uh, just uh, keep on chatting here as well. So if anyone wants to question here, just uh, request to speak. And uh, I'll make sure you would... Be given the microphone no one's yet here so let's continue uh, the discussion as we, until someone uh, is going to be not that shy Uh, yeah Robin what is the biggest thing that you are uh, looking forward to uh, to see or experience while in Estonia
1: oh just the uh, I have heard it's a very
0: beautiful country
1: and I also heard that the people are super nice um, but I was just like, I'm excited to meet different people. I mean, we met a bunch of people in New York, which was great last year, NFT, NYC, and I'm doing NFT uh, Paris and then NFT is Thailand. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to meeting a, a different cross section of people and having different kinds of conversations.
0: Uh, yeah, so I guess we'll be seeing each other already in two weeks in at NFT Paris. Very much so. Yes.
1: And I, i'm like I'm looking forward to getting on stage and talking about this insanity of, um at your event because I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be
0: fun yeah, I hope so a uh, interesting question is that uh, you mentioned that you're also a father uh, as as am I, and uh, how do you see uh, all this uh, the web free uh, madness and uh, how do you experience this uh, as a father how are how easy is it to Uh, get everything uh, in balance or is there any balance uh, at all? Oh man that is the question
1: I mean that really is the question the the truth is like there's a there's a great podcast I listen to called My First Million Uh, it's by entrepreneurs and founders and there's a guy on there from the company Whoop that's kind of this health and fitness band and he's talking about the need for sleep if you're a founder, if you're a high-level kind of um, executive in a company, you got to sleep. And like my wife, who's sitting next to me, has been like hitting me for years, telling me I need to sleep more. And she's right. They do. And I think the, the 24-7, seven-days-a-week nature of Web3 and crypto, and because it never stops, and you have to figure out a way to switch off which I'm terrible at, um, but the kids kind of help keep me grounded in that. And you kind of switch off. And it's really hard. Like sometimes when our community, who's mostly US-based, they start kicking off and it's like late and you want to kind of talk to them and explain to them what's going on. But you also have to realize that like the best thing you can do for them to be happy is to walk away, go to bed, get a good night's sleep, and then come back fresh in the morning I've taken a very long time to partially understand that. And I'm still not there yet because I, all I want to do is get shit done. Um, but I know that like, the best thing I can do is switch off. And then like with my kids, like, they they understand NFT sort of, but they're actually a much better guide for for the metaverse. Uh, and I always like, I, I, t- I talk about this in podcasts, like people who are talking about the metaverse now and have this sort of bird's eye view on it or are building platforms the people who are really going to use it, they're like 10 years old now. I have this opportunity to do market research with my kids, the stuff that they like, the way that they interface with the world. And then we have to figure out a way of translating that and turning that into what can then be a business um, in different lots of different ways. So you have to kind of retune the way you think about the world and creativity. And if, if they can enjoy my content and what we make, then I think we're winning.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's very much a, a trouble uh, when it comes to being in Europe and uh, building something where most of the users are in, in the States or in Asia. Uh, even uh, we have been having these discussions that should we just uh, move to East Coast or at least uh, West uh, west of Europe so it would be a little bit better on the time zones. Uh, but uh, so far, still uh, working through everything. And when you say it's switching off and just like... Uh, uh, getting your mind off and everything else. So what else do you actually do to do that? Ah, uh,
1: you're asking, you're actually asking some great questions here. Like the, the whole thing about the East coast when I was working for Harmon, it killed me because they were West coast and that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. And like just, you know, any phone call you wanted to have it like, ended up being at 11 o'clock at night. I just got to a point where I just couldn't do that anymore. It was too difficult. East coast is, is easier to manage. Um, but the other thing is, like, you have like half to two thirds of the day when you can get on and do stuff, and then it sort of opens up. And if you have got everything done in time, you're kind of ahead of it. Um, that's that's good. Sorry, what was the question you asked? I got so wrapped up in what I was saying. <laughs>
0: yeah, the question was that. What else do you do to switch uh, to switch oh, well, off? So, uh, you know that that that's
1: I spent. Four months training to run a marathon, well, actually training to run an ultra marathon. Um, which was which was great because it gave me such discipline during the day. and my my wife was talking about it yesterday, stopped. but I would basically have to take an hour out at least of every working day, usually around lunchtime, to go and run on the treadmill. And so basically what that did because I, I couldn't fit it in around everything else and because I, I knew it was actually it was work, so I could should treat it as work basically yeah i just had this enforced recreation in the middle of the day every day and i would just go and pound out like a 10k or a 15k and the problem is it just got really hard to fit that into the day particularly when i was doing the long training runs like a 21k like a half marathon would take me two and a half hours and that's a big chunk of the day to be out of action and then people would come and do like a meeting with me while i was on the treadmill so we would just be doing meetings while i was running uh but exercise that focus that discipline now that i've stopped i I literally got postpartum from it and i'm trying to figure out what i can do next and what i'm hoping is that when we release the marathon film it starts a conversation with a sports brand like adidas for instance about what we could do next a big kind of sporting challenge because like we, we we knocked off a really like a lot of interesting things with that film and we covered a lot of interesting ground with it, particularly in terms of like rehumanizing technology and can reconnecting with the kind of human parts of ourselves and the human experience, but through technology, which I think is really interesting and obviously sport and the metaverse feel like a really good match. So I'm just dying for that next challenge. I, like I need, I feel like I need to have it as part of a challenge that's work related. Otherwise I, I will just make excuses not to do it. So um, like that sport and you know the other thing is when I finished the event like the two days afterwards even though I was sore level of kind of endorphins running through me I felt like Superman it was the weirdest thing and I, that's kind of addictive so I'm sort of looking for that again
0: yeah once you find something that uh, uh, takes your emotions and everything else up then uh, you might get uh, stuck to it uh, and uh, here uh, we finally have some people that have their hands up and ready to ask questions. I think Racer Gava had uh, his hand up first. So Racer, please come and shoot your question.
3: Hello, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hi. Uh, uh, um, I have a question. Uh, I don't know how to put it, but I just... uh, would we'll just explain it, and then I will have a question at the end for both you, both you guys. So I'm a medical doctor specializing in addiction medicine uh, in Norway, and uh, don't know really a lot about Web3 or metaverse. Uh, but I have been a part of it for for some months, and I have been listening to all these spaces and getting inspired by all these talks and people who have these weird um, ideas of themselves and just uh, invested in that and now they're like in some happy place. So right now, these days I'm working in a public hospital uh, from eight to four, Monday to Friday. Uh, and I have also like a son who is three years old. So what I love about my work is like that I can help the patients and with their addiction or misuse or like uh, problem- uh Yeah their overuse of any uh drug yeah but what i don't like is the early morning meetings uh, where uh, i have to be there and be awake and most of it is to make your the system happy and it's a part of bureaucracy and not actually helping the patients and uh i I would like to do, I have this idea and I have been inspired by all these people I have this idea to offer some kind of uh, therapy sessions uh, online to people all over the world just not the patients who are meeting up physically to our hospital in Norway and because first of all it will help me to not work like from 8 to 4 and second of all I will have... uh, more time to spend how I want to do spend with my kid, and the third is that a lot of people don't seek uh, help in public hospitals if, this, if they have an addiction problem. So the stigma we uh, we could actually bypass the stigma of uh, not getting help because of the addiction. A bad thing. Uh, you could just seek help online. Uh, since you're talking about like storytelling and stuff like that, how can you tell this story? How, how can you help me? Can you, (laughs) is it a very, very weird idea or is uh, it can be done in future in three, four, five years when most of uh, people uh, know more about uh, Web3 and stuff? Thank you.
1: Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good question. I, I, I don't think you need Web3. Where I think Web3 can help is in the identity and ownership layer. So if you, for instance, have a medical record that specifically or or some kind of identifier that only you can have that allows you access to a space, wherever that space might be, um, that space doesn't have to be a Web3 space. It doesn't have to be a, a Web3 metaverse. It can be any digital space. And like, One of the reasons we're excited about working with Monaverse is that that facility is in there but fundamentally you can build for free and you can build using unity so it's a game engine that's well supported and mature where it gets interesting here is what you're talking about is this idea of support safety it's avoiding stigma it's all of these things which are like a fundamental part of the human condition and again this talks to my point about base AF, the stories you want to tell, it's, it's, the technology is cool yet, yeah, but the human component in the middle of it is the most important part of it because in the face of chat, GPT and AI and overwhelming technological superiority, who we are as human beings will never be more important and poignant. So these questions you're asking really valid, really relevant. And I think that my experience of going to Great Ormond Street after we ran the marathon, talking to the team there about what they wanted to do with this incredibly progressive, forward-looking hospital that places the kids' experience at the very heart of it. There is so much they want to do that is basically the metaverse. For instance, they have trained a, a clinician in the hospital there using VR and AR in a surgery that has never been performed before to separate conjoined twins. But using technology, and then he went and performed that same operation successfully in the country where the Twins are actually based. But there are other things, like the charity donation team understood the power of Web3 when we walked in with a check for 100 grand. They said, we've never seen anything like this before. We can't believe that you've managed to pull this off. They normally get checks for like two grand. That's a big check from someone just for a random community member doing something. We walked in with 100 grand. They couldn't believe it. But they also told us because they're building a a streaming arm to what they're doing. So fundraising using gamers and Twitch streamers. And the guy said, you just validated my entire department. I can show them this and say, listen, there's a real thing here where we can do some, some good. Okay, wonderful. But what else? Well, they want to build a complete digital twin of the hospital so that donors can see exactly where their money's being directed. They can go and explore the hospital and say, actually, I really want my money to go to this advanced research wing where the most kind of difficult and special pediatric cases are being solved by the world's leading researchers. Cause this hospital is incredible. Okay, cool. But what about this? What about if there's a kid who's been in the hospital for two years, a year and a half, two years, cause that does happen. And, the one thing they want to do is hang out with their mates. What can we do? Well, what we're actually going to do is make a film where we get a kid to design their ideal space. We'll build it for them. And then we'll allow them to give tokens to their mates to allow them to only let their mates in. So we'll, obviously we'll try and issue this on the cheapest blockchain we possibly can and the easiest possible way, the most frictionless way, but for kids, like, Where in the story of blockchain and crypto is that about greed? That's about connecting people. It's about building a space out of imagination and then allowing the people who need it the most to be able to connect to it in their moments of greatest need. Like when you're in a hospital bed and you're hooked up to a machine and it's pumping chemicals into your body and you've got your mates with you and it's a space that you designed, now that's cool. And that's not that dissimilar to what you've just been talking
0: about.
3: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah. And if I would add anything from here, then uh, I think uh, when it comes to uh, projects uh, such as Base Staff or uh, any of the other NFT projects that kind of uh, act as a a layer of identity on top of your uh, own layer, then uh, this could potentially be involved in this uh, uh, process, Uh, especially uh, as you were mentioning before that there is uh, there are people that have a stigma against uh, going and seeking some medical attention. So maybe there is still a way how to incorporate uh, metaverses here as well.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And like the, the metaverse is just this capsule for a kind of next evolution of the internet. And we have to be very, very careful about how we use the word "the metaverse" because, you know, we talk about stigma. Is like there's a whole bunch of stigma around hype cycles of technology that lead to speculative bubbles and then people losing their shirt because they invested in something. Um, I guess for me, where I where I get excited is, is, is the ability to connect people in ways that they couldn't be connected before. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, the idea of social presence, like when, when we're trying to put events together in the metaverse, it's really tough because you, you kind of, you want it to be as accessible as possible which isn't the easiest. So web browsers, they can't handle a lot. I think when we saw the other side demo and saw 4,000 apes together, that was spectacular and incredible and the, uh, pointed to where this could be going, but it's a long way off being operationalized. But you know, even if you have 50 people in a space together, it's pretty cool. When we did the marathon, we built chat and we had probably 10 people in the same time with me and it was sketching out something rotten. So there's a lot of work to be done to figure that out, but you know, there's, ah, oh, there's so much we can do. It's very exciting.
3: Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, um, uh, like I, I can just add that, like from our experience, like in hospitals, the patients who are seeking our help are uh, most of them, we can help them and they actually don't die or get like a problem with their, head. the problem is, those people who don't get uh, help or have the stigma or they just don't want to show up because, it, uh, yeah, somebody will know them, they will get in you know, like their health or they will die or maybe they will get even like an overdose because of using the drugs in a wrong way. So I think uh, like uh, technology and Web3, uh, like the Westander also said, like having another idea, identity will help more people to seek help uh, and they will seek help earlier than uh, how they do it in real life. Like uh, sometimes they come to us and it's already too late. We cannot do anything at all. But they can just do it like as a kind of like education, educating uh, sessions also, just like in the yeah. But thank you very much. Uh, I will see you guys in Tallinn, and I'm looking forward to
0: learn more. Thank you as well. Thank you. And next up, I see that there's one uh, base head here. Uh, So I have to give you priority. So Augustus.
2: uh... Guten Tag, Robin. I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, My question is regarding the MKBHD community. So can you tell us a bit more how you want to hijack them? Or is this still top secret? (laughs) (laughs)
1: um we have a plan well actually i started working on that plan gosh back in september so i knew what i wanted to do and we we set about trying to to make it happen now we're we're developing out a little bit further basically what what's going to have to happen is we will go there go to his studio and i think one of the golden rules of kind of any audience hijack for, for another YouTuber is you have to create something that is of value to them and you have to make it extremely easy for them to, to kind of participate. So those are the two things that, that are important. Obviously, MKBHD is a, you know one of the biggest, probably the biggest tech tuber around. So for us, it makes sense to connect with that audience and try and show them our vision of what technology can be um, because inevitably we'll end up doing tech reviews at some point. And like there's only one person you go to when there's tech reviews, it's him or it's, um, it's him. So obviously we want to show up and, and be a force in that space as well, because it's, it's inevitably where we're going to go like when the Apple AR goggles come out, we obviously want to do a review of that. So I've said a lot and I haven't said anything, so I apologize, but yes, that's um, that's that's happening but it will it, what I can say is it will have to involve us going and being in his actual studio for it to work
0: super excited Thank you Robin sounds like some alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's
1: something it's something we have. I mean man like the, the lead time on the stuff we want to do is insane like I want to call on Friday with a, a VR platform to talk about something that is due for like end of the year probably but it's going to take us so long to put it together and build it we have to like start now and like we can't even tell you guys about any of this stuff but we're we're carrying all of that while we're delivering all these other things it's, it's nuts um, but that's Unfortunately, the, the space we're in right now, there's just so much we have to build from scratch that just doesn't exist yet. Um, so figuring all of that out is, is tricky. But again, you know, if we can share the journey along the way, then it, it makes it a bit more accessible for everyone.
0: Yeah, and if you, for some reason, feel that you don't have enough to do, then I'm happy to uh, have you taken as a challenge to uh, Metaverse. Uh, <laughs> 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 or to host it in Trashlands? <laughs>
1: oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I can't wait to get the full Trashland build out. We, um, the plan is to have the, the, the world that we build for our virtual production studio, um, which I, I should probably talk about. But I see some hands up. So let's have yeah. the hands speak.
0: Okay, so Bob Natty ask a question now. Peter will go into Trashland. Bob Natty, are you here? If not... Then Owen, okay, Hi oh, is here. Hey, hey.
4: Um, I do have a question uh, for you. Um, as a con creator in metaverse, um, I've had like you know a lot of ideas um, about the metaverse, and uh, and I just wanted to like share them with you and see what you think about them. So. Sure. Um, for for example um you know we, we've seen people like acquiring like pieces of real estate you know in the metaverse and stuff like that but you know some people are like taking it like a bit further and saying you know we could kind of like have you know like a virtual economy in the metaverse you know we could start to like build you know like a like a virtual state right like you know virtual governance you know maybe even governed by ai And, you know, having like real virtual jobs in, you know, in the metaverse, you know, with like real world and real life, like earnings and income. So um, about these sort of ideas, what do you think about them? Are there there things that, you know, are still in the future or, you know, you're in the metaverse you you see some of these things? Are these things that are probably already happening or do you just think it's just a big dream? You know,
1: What, what are your thoughts
4: about these things?
1: Yeah, I think it's inevitable. To be honest with you, because again, it's about what generation is going to pick this technology up and run with it. It's the technology. It's the generation that's building and things in Roblox, and is used to in-game economies and earning diamonds in the game. It feels like that translates very naturally to earning a living in, in virtual worlds. What shape that's going to take—that's a little harder to to frame out. I'll tell you why. It's because when you look in digital spaces and digital land, they're very skeuomorphic of the real world and you have land and you have buildings and those buildings look like buildings in the real world. And you tell me, do we navigate these digital buildings the way we navigate the real world? No, of course we don't. We navigate them in a completely different way. So architecture has to change and the way those spaces has to change. But that's all by the human hand. You mentioned AI there. I feel like so much of what is going to define the metaverse is going to be extremely responsive. And that's the exact opposite of building a, you know, a site on a piece of digital land and constructing it and putting it in place. Responsive means that it changes in response to you and what you require and what you need. And only AI is going to be able to provide that kind of experience. That's going to be quite challenging in a way so that it becomes a conditional experience, whereas what are the conditions that I require or I am I want to experience when I come into a world? And then the AI will supply that to you. That's going to make every, every experience that you have in, in the metaverse very individual and customized to you. So none of that translates to what's being built at the moment, which is just basically like little vanity projects saying, oh, we've built this nice thing. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it? It's like a piece of art. Well, I don't think that's going to be how it is because why would we simply replicate the real world digitally because the real world is so much better. It just is. So that's kind of one of the things I'm I'm keeping an eye on. That's sort of where my brain is going with all of this, trying to think about again, I think this is some of the experiments we're, we're doing in the world that we're kind of embarking on at the moment, which is if we're to make a show that comes from the metaverse, what does that look like what is that is that just a a virtual set or is there something more going on here so what we're trying to do is take unreal engine and chat gpt and marry them together Where if you're watching the show you can type in the chat box and it will influence the world that you see in front of you and that's sort of already there in twitch but we want to just ramp it up and and make it kind of supercharged and crazy plug in houdini and, and all sorts of different things and then really start to experiment chaos that will come about through all of that. Now, that nobody wants a kind of chaotic existence, but I definitely think that this highly customized, highly flexible, highly conditionalized experience will be the way the metaverse plays out, which I'm, I don't think anyone else is really talking about at the
0: moment. Maybe I'm wrong,
1: but it, it just feels like the skeuomorphic version of things is just so kind of boring and unnecessary. And, but it's a step we have to go through, I guess.
4: Interesting. So, um, if, if I understand you correctly, you're saying, uh, because I answered the statement, you said, you know, we already have some of these things in the real world, why do we want to replicate them digitally? So, are you saying we're going to have, like, much more, like, different experiences and sort of like a different pathway in the metaverse, you know, as opposed to just like, you know, photocopy of what we have in the real world as of now?
1: Yeah, I do, because I think that's where it's going to be the most interesting you don't find the stuff that becomes the most interesting stuff, like right slap bang in the middle where you can see it. It's always on the fringes being worked on by people who are hacking the system, who are finding unusual ways to use the tools that are presented to them. And that's why, you know, when we, when I look at metaverse builders and metaverse architects and they're slapping down like art galleries, just like, this is boring. Like, one of the shows we want to do is called, it's basically a version of MTV Cribs called Metaverse Mansions, where we just go and rip the shit out of, like, these stupid builds. Because, like, why, why would you go and spend, like, half a million dollars on a piece of land just so you can be next to someone else when none of that really matters? Like, whereas a, people will go where the most interesting stuff is happening. So, so the geographical location simply doesn't matter. And then it shouldn't matter. And the people who are going to do the most interesting stuff are probably like eight-year-old kids anyway, and they're not going to pay for that land. So you'll be missing out just by virtue of kind of being a digital landlord in, in charge of like property on Manhattan, but Manhattan doesn't matter. But your other question about are there going to be jobs? Are there going to be economies? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's already starting to happen. There are people who are digital nomads working all around the world and you know how they will interface with each other probably will happen in the metaverse. Dubai is doing a lot of investment into that at the moment. Place we definitely want to go to. But I, I saw recently that Seoul in South Korea is in build basically a digital twin of public services, so that people can go and practice or train in those public services, but within a metaverse context. I always feel like with this kind of stuff, South Korea is like a couple of couple of years ahead of everyone else anyway. So definitely some interesting things. Like it will be possible to be a fully Virtualized citizen and work and earn money in that in that world very very soon not four or five years but like probably already happening. Interesting.
4: All right. Thank you for answering my question. Uh, I'll be off for now.
0: Yeah, and after all, uh, we have had the opportunity to uh, earn livelihood virtually for the last uh, twenty years in in some games already. If you're uh, putting in the time so uh, i'm sure uh, things will be uh, getting even more interesting in the in the future before we co- go to the question by owen then uh, you did mention something that you wanted to cover and this is the trashland site. yeah
1: so <laughs> it's one of the things that i got during the pandemic was virtual production and by that we mean like, like Hollywood films, TV shows, they build sets. And those sets are expensive and they're physical and so they, they go up and then you have to shoot them out and then take them down. Like Virtual production is what they used for The Mandalorian. So they used Unreal Engine to extend the sets that they were shooting on and create these incredible scenes and scenarios. It's not like it saved them a lot of money, but it was very flexible and it allowed them to shoot a lot faster and create different things and that was using LED walls. What we mean by virtual production is taking a, a volume, so just a room, filling it full of motion capture cameras and then linking that to Unreal Engine so that what happens in that, that volume is reflected in Unreal Engine itself. So we can basically go anywhere, be anywhere, and our set for the stories that we want to tell will be trash land. So I'll be, we're building out an entire Trashland environment within which we can go and film anywhere and so tell our stories from within a space that feels like it belongs in the metaverse because I have this kind of contradiction in my head which is like the metaverse is both a human thing but it's also a virtual thing. And so we need to have the flexibility to be able to tell a story from within a virtual world but also from the real world and and be in a position to be able to shoot that really fast uh, on the same speed as we could shoot like regular live action. And that's why we built the the mocap volume. And that's why we're building the whole Trashland environment. Now, we have got it working. Um, so if you saw the, the the horror film trailer we made, at the end, there's that kind of big CGI pullout shot. And that was, you know, the first glimpse of Trashland. We now have that built in Unreal. And we're kind of slowly building it out even further. But there's like, we, we can take our lead character, Karma, and you know, walk around there and jump over and things. So it's, it's playable already. But the idea is that we will be able to release it as a game on Steam for people to play as well uh, or do quests and that kind of thing. Because um, it's really fun. I and mean, that's the, the joy of building in game engines, that we can actually release a game. But don't game developers just yet because that's not what we are. We're entertainers. But there are definitely game activations that we can do. Uh, and we'll definitely be publishing those as well.
0: Yeah, uh, this this sounds exciting, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, going and uh, traveling the trash land. And now I promised Owen to have a chance to ask a question. So, Owen, what did you want to ask?
5: That worked out really nicely, because it came right back around to the metaverse, which is kind of what I wanted to talk about anyway. But um, to a certain extent, though, the, the metaverse and how people experience it are, are really still hamstrung by... Uh, hardware and like to what extent will trash lands be uh, kind of optimized more for browsers when you know like you you mentioned internet browsers and stuff earlier where you kind of try and optimize for that when in reality the the hardware just needs to get better really so that people can really experience vr and metaverse uh, more naturally
1: yeah yeah good question so that's a multi multi multi-flavored question and it It really depends on A number of factors for virtual production we are optimizing for the most kind of high fidelity high resolution version of the world that we can build and obviously then we can shoot cinematic looking content in there using But that's not going to fly in a web browser i'm keeping a close eye on wilder world and what they're building because you know the demos look amazing but like what are we going to be able to build in wilder world if anything i don't know um, the other one is obviously the other side, because the other side, from what I can understand, is Unreal-based, but again, don't we don't know until we know what the integrations could be on there. So obviously, if they open up the SDK, and we can start building stuff on there, then the networking capabilities of that platform, such as they've been advertised, really get exciting. So we can start being more ambitious. But, but I mean, I how far is that out? Two years? Three years? Nobody really knows. So... In the meantime, you're absolutely right. We have to build much more kind of pared down instances of of, um, ideas that we want to build. So we could take, for instance, the Boobies Bar, which is a strip club, and build it in Moniverse. So Moniverse is like, it's become one of our favorite places to build on just because it's so very straightforward and it's unity-based. It doesn't have its own bespoke SDK. Um, That's cool. But then you know we're also looking into somnium because somnium we've known them for a long time they're like one of the most kind of gorgeous looking closest representations of the metaverse in vr like a full vr experience and like if we want to go that route and have hardware and um, and touchy feely stuff that's really interesting but again you lose that on accessibility so you need to have a browser-based experience and that's where we that's what web is also a lot and we can you know, you can see where that goes. But again, they have their own custom builder. So like, this is all for us to kind of figure out what is the best story for us to tell? Where is the best place to put it? Is it Roblox? Is it Sandbox? I don't know. These are all things we have to think about. Um, because at the end of the day, we can make a good story and create a good experience, then it works. But I think, you know, at the mm-hmm. moment, we're not. We're nowhere near that kind of you, Jackie, amazing space. Again, the closest I think I've come to Omnium, but, you know, who knows
5: yeah absolutely I agree I mean like what you know Ready Player One is probably a really bad example because it's kind of dystopian. but like imagine if everyone had access to that kind of hardware all the time it it would you know it would really mean mean much easier for you guys as as creators you know to, to really bring people into the metaverse um so it's it's just a little bit of a pity that, it, that the hardware is a little bit behind what what was really required
2: yeah
1: it, it, but it'll go fast you know we we feel like it's the, the, the vision is a pop culture vision, and it's funny because the the ready player one that image you have of him on that omnidirectional treadmill with wearing the gloves and the v r glasses that's basically what I did when I ran the marathon. I basically did that and it, it was kind of weird because I, I was both in the real world and I had people around me like cheering me on and telling jokes and stuff. But I also had like six people who were running in the VR chat with me at the same time. So I was living this dual existence, double thing. And it was it it worked. It was a bit janky, but it did work, and I was there. So we're not that far off it. Like again, let's let's see what the new Apple glasses look like when they come out. I'm very curious about that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, technology has been taking some uh, huge leaps. Uh, some of you might know the company Player Me that's doing avatars for like 200 or so uh, different uh, platforms these days. And I remember when we were at the same accelerator in 2015 where they were actively like, physically building egg-shaped uh, things that were used to scan your uh, full-body images to get uh, all of this uh, 3D uh, version of you made. And now, just eight years later, they just take uh, one picture uh, with your phone and uh, create everything uh, already digitally. So, uh, in a couple of years' time, uh, we will be somewhere where we can't even imagine yet. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: You know? the, um, the Quest Pro, which we had, which we used for the marathon, built into it is like an ability to create a photorealistic avatar of you that's like creepily real genuinely creepily real uh, the, the the Quest Pro is a it's amazing and it's terrible at the same time it's a really bizarre piece of tech but it's sort of pointing the way to kind of where we're going with that and I think once we, we get to a point where we can break beyond what I call the tyranny of the smartphone I think interesting things will happen but you know, we're still wedded to that strange device for now
0: Uh, And before we go to uh, Yamini uh, question, then uh, make sure you do check the uh, tweet that I just uh, put up here uh, four minutes ago. But uh, Yamini, uh, did you have a question?
2: Is that me? I am Emi? Oh, sorry. (laughs) No, no problem. Why is it I am supermassive? they get, but they don't Massive, I don't get it. <laughs> My uh, how you, how's everybody doing? Thanks for having me up. And uh, if you remember, I am massive. I'm the one who asked you about, uh, told you I traveled to 38 countries. I've been to Estonia. You'll love it. It's a very cool little quaint town. Um, are, you, are you taking like a cruise there from uh, from Stockholm over? hey yeah, you can
0: take um, a cruise. You can fly. Yeah, we'll, we'll
1: probably dig a tunnel
2: that seems like the most effective way to get there. Just to yeah, bury, I took a, to I took bury. a cruise from Stockholm and we stopped there, and then we went to Saint Petersburg. It was like a three-day jaunt thing, but cool little town. So I don't necessarily have a question, but just all this metaverse. You know, I'm also part of the uh, the cyber brokers, and I know you, you're familiar with Josie. So I don't know if you've had this conversation yet, but you know thinking of the metaverse uh and, and all the different tools that are out there you know some of it, it, it doesn't need to be reinvented and there, there's some tools out there and have you considered the on cyber and deca art um aspect you know josie is part of the deck art and, you know they're kind of a brilliant project in the sense that there are art blocks but it's you know it's an, just an incredible tool for projects because they've kind of like figured out the metric in the sense that they have their own NFT to level up your NFT each day. You have to go into deck art and you have to go look at other people's galleries, you know, so a great thing projects can do is have gallery competitions, um, you know, with deck art being one, you know, you say, the community, take all your base heads, make, make a gallery, you know, at the end of the week, we'll have a vote. And what that does is is when you're in the system now in Deca art you're gonna stumble across base heads more you know the more the community has created and they've got thousands know I have thousands of followers in Deca art I go there every single day because if you miss a day then you don't get your your XP to be able to level up their nft so you are constantly going there you know that's 24/7 free advertisement for a project. And then once you have made a gallery when people are going in each day and looking at a gallery to click it and like it so that they get their XP, there's also an interest within DECA that basically tells you anyone that has a DECA account when they're buying or selling. So if there's any kind of you know base sales or buys, it shows up in a in a in a feed in the system. And on cyber is another great one, you know, and, and on cyber they are kind of part of the metaverse already in the sense that you could have again base heads, let's make, you know, who can make the coolest on cyber gallery. And the event could be everybody could actually go into the on cyber gallery and the person could show off their, you know, their their their, their NFTs from base from there. So I was just wondering if if you consider that. I mean it's free advertisement. It's something that's up 24 seven. And when you're making a gallery in tech art, there's numerous tools, you know, you can add backgrounds, you can use other people's NFTs. So someone could make a base heads gallery and then not even be their NFTs. It could be just their favorite base heads. And on top of that, you can also use text when you're making the gallery. And it has links so that you can put that person, you know, the artist's Twitter, uh, the Baseheads Discord, the Baseheads uh, website address, you can have that all in the gallery. So when someone goes in, not only have they seen Baseheads, they've got links to the Twitter, to the Discord, to the YouTube. It, it's just a phenomenal tool and I'm sure Joseph could chime in more if he wanted to follow up with it on it too, but I was just curious if you thought of that.
1: Of course we have. Yeah. Okay. On, okay.
2: on cyber definitely
1: um, has been on our radar and I love how for instance, the artifact cyberpods could be reskinned by users. I love how they've now folded them into these amazing spaceships. I always look at artifacts as like beautiful executioners of content in their own specific and weird and wonderful way. Um, Deckard arts, yeah. You know, the, the issue is time. So it's like time, time, time to explore that form. Because every, every decision we make about where to build you have to factor in like all the specifics of building for that specific world like what scripts are going to work what kind of what is the experience because it's not enough for us to just build it If we're going to build something well
2: script, Deca you wouldn't have to build anything you could just say hey this week we're going to have a challenge you know everyone we'd like to go in Deca and make a base in I know I know it would require but you but nothing you, as far as that goes eh,
1: but the the challenge I think is always communication so Yes, we can build something, but we also have to communicate that, and the way we communicate is with video, and that is the way we hook people in. So there's always like this massive overhead that I don't think people quite realize of communication. Um, that's that's my that's my biggest challenge at the moment is is scaling video communication in a way that kind of keeps everything in touch. Um, so, but yeah, it's a good good spot. decker definitely on cyber definitely. Like we'll we'll get to all of these and explore them. But my my kind of North star for all of this is how do we turn this into a video? How do we turn this into a story that has a beginning, middle and an end and has enough escalation and twists and turns to make it worth doing in the first place? Um, or we just go, well, we did this and it's a 60 second video and it's a fun thing that we did. That's also valid.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm just mentioning, cause it's, you know, you can do a tweet, you can do a YouTube video, you know, how many people are going to come across it when you talk about on cyber a decade, that's, that's like a billboard on the side of the road, twenty four seven. Costs you nothing. It's just free advertisement that people stumble across. So think, you know, that's why I think it's just a huge tool that people should take advantage of. so totally sold. I'm doing it tomorrow. <laughs> hey, and if you need anything, reach out. Like I said, Josie, uh, you know you can take it further as a project where you can have a badge. You know, if you're, you know, if you're a big enough project, there's someone in the space. You're into, you know, within DECA, they have badges. So X copy, cyber brokers, you know, some of the major projects, they have their own badge. And that's just when someone's in, they have a list of all the, you know, if you own a base heads, then they would have a badge. So that's something, Joe, that you can talk to me about too. For me, anytime, I'm here for you. I will do that. I will awesome. do that.
0: I think that there's uh, lots that we'll be uh, still discussing with uh, Robin on how to ensure that we will have some fresh <laughs> and uh, uh, some other ideas on, on the Metaverse side because we are fully looking to embrace uh, the Metaverse side with NFT Talent event uh, as well. And uh, and yeah, uh, other than that, uh, looking forward to hosting everyone uh, in uh, Talent in, uh, in May. And then uh, make sure you keep your eyes on uh, what uh, Supermassive is doing with uh, based uh, AF. And you can also uh, uh, check what we are doing uh, with not just there, also all the freights and uh, other projects that we are working on with uh, Wolf Labs. So any parting words from you, Robin?
1: Uh, no, just to say thanks to everyone who's supporting what we're up to so far. Um, I think... You can never underestimate how vicious being a Web3 founder actually is, but I'm enjoying every moment of it. So stick with us. We're, we've got lots to, to give you in the coming months.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a crazy ride and we're all enjoying it. So thank you all uh, for joining us uh, here uh, today. And as promised, uh, we did pick a winner for one uh, general pass for NFT telling uh, which goes to was stunk. Uh, so was stunk. Uh, hit me up or hit uh, NFT Italian up, and we'll be giving you a, a ticket for the event.
4: When flight tickets? <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. So uh, thank you all, and uh, make sure you check out our next NFT Italian talks. Uh, next one already happening this uh, Thursday with Cluew. Thank you and Thanks, enjoy Andrew. your nights. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's all for today's episode of NFT Talent Talk. I appreciate all of you for tuning in and I hope you'll time in for our next episode. Make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast if you found it valuable. It really helps us out. I encourage you all to visit nfttalent.com to learn more about the event and grab a ticket when you're ready. I promise you, the experience in Estonia will be a
2: worthwhile one. Bye-bye.